AgBioscience is supported by Indiana Farmers Insurance. This is a special edition of Ag Bioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agrinovus Indiana. This is the podcast where we explore all things Ag Bioscience, the people, the products, and innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. Three global Ag Bioscience leaders joined us on stage at Rally Innovation, the conference that welcomed more than 3,000 from around the globe to Indianapolis. The leaders gave a candid and unique perspective on the future of the economy and what's ahead for ag bioscience innovators. This, this is our discussion on stage with Alanco CEO Jeff Simmons, S2G Ventures Principal Audra Kapasinkas, and Corteva's Chief Strategy Officer Brooke Cunningham. We get started with Brooke. Hello, everyone, um, and congratulations, first and foremost, to the whole team that put this event together. Thank you. I've lived in Indiana for three weeks, um, so very well established already. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, and this is an, it's just an unbelievable example, I think, of the passion that yes. this community has around being the hub of plants and animal and human health and about driving these global conversations around innovation. So I'm actually very pleased to be here. Um, I am very biased. I think that agriculture is the most uh, interesting industry on the planet. Uh, it is global, it is local, it is core to culture, it is incredibly complicated, um, and it's constantly evolving. Yes. And I think we're finding ourselves at an interesting inflection point right now where we have a lot of challenges, but also a lot of opportunities in front of us. Mm. Um, so from a challenges perspective, we have a growing global population, which is putting increased right. demand on producing crops to both feed and fuel the world. We have climate change um, that's gonna be putting increased pressure on crops. We have increasing weed and pest and disease resistance, and we have finite natural resources that we need to protect. So mm -hmm. it's, I think, a unique time for folks like us to be leading yeah. um, the companies that we are and to have a chance to use technology and innovation in order to really drive impact and be positive catalysts uh, to help actively offset some of those, those negative changes that we're seeing. Um, from a good perspective, so companies like Corteva, and for those who don't know, we're the largest pure play agriculture company in the world, uh, leader in seed, crop protection technology, biological plant health products. Um, we are really optimistic about what we can do in terms of delivering innovation into the food system in order to combat a lot of these changes. Um, and we we call ourselves a sustainable innovation company, uh, and I think that really is what we are. Um, and for us, sustainability means productivity. It means helping farmers to increase the yield potential and protect that yield potential of every acre that they have on their farms so that we keep um, incremental lands across the world from coming into production. It means minimizing environmental impact, uh, and it means, I think, sustainable profitability, um, yes. which we don't talk about enough. Uh, where we have to make sure that our stakeholders, very importantly, including our farmer customers, continue to thrive um, and their communities continue to thrive. Um, so a lot of challenges, uh, but a lot of opportunities through advanced breeding, through biotechnology, uh, new tools like gene editing, uh, which we think have massive potential, uh, green chemistry, where we're already a leader, and, um, and Alonco's products, some of your products use some of our, our, uh, our molecules from our library. Um, and so many others. So um, again, it's, it's a fantastic industry. It's always keeping us on our toes, but I'm really optimistic about what we're gonna be able to do to continue to use innovation to drive change. 
You know, Brooke, we often talk about the ag bioscience economy, this broader ag economy as yeah. the only economy in the world that touches every person on the planet. That's right. Because it centers on food. And we're here at Rally, the cross-sector innovation conference, where we're looking at different segments of the economy. Jeff, you've been a leader, a bold leader in animal health. You've taken an amazing asset through an IPO, made a giant acquisition in 2020, a $7 billion acquisition, making the second largest independent animal health company in the world. Would love to hear your perspective on how this market's evolving and the role that Lanco's playing. Yeah, I think Brooks said it well. Um, and I think we sat in Indiana, we sat at the rally conference, we sat in Indiana with a lot of, you know, not just private companies and public companies, but innovative companies. And I think um, there's a convergence happening right now. When you can touch every person every day, this, mm -hmm. this ought to be the fullest room here mm -hmm. at an innovation right. conference. Yeah. There's a convergence. People talked about it 10 years ago, but now it's happening. Human health, I sat for, you know, came out of Eli Lilly, so I sat at the table for 10 years as an officer of Lilly, and we always talked about, oh, human health converges with animal health that converges with environmental health that now is actually converging with energy. Mm -hmm. uh, especially yeah. in your industry. So you do not just touch everybody every day, but now you're having these forces coming together to say, you know, we ate more animal protein last year than any time in the history of man. Why? Not just because GDP and population growth, but because, hey, there's this Western diet that I could get a lot of people to raise their hands to say <laughs> keto, whole 30, mm -hmm. people are dropping carbs and increasing protein. So that's a good example of, man, human health, we can do more than just our parent company that we came from on diabetes mm. with better nutrition. And hey, what we can do with corn and energy, and there are farmers in this state today on the environment that are making more money off carbon than they are off on milk. Mm. Uh, it's happened, it's here. There will be climate neutral farms. Cows are going to lower the temperature. And we will launch a innovation in Q1 of next year that will be a big player in that. So. I think, Mitch, I mean, yes, Elanco, exciting why we've got an interest to go independent, why we want, we have a vision to say, reach the world's animals. It's a simple, set up an epicenter right here, building a headquarters about, about a mile from here. And the idea is bring innovators here. And I'll use an example, but, but we're, we're now in over 100 countries and have SAP, supply chain, everything to where we can reach over 20 species of animals. And I was set two years ago with an innovator in Boston, somebody that's probably like in this room. And he had the first SGLT2 from Human Pharma. And he said, I think this can work in cats. And no one that has a diabetic cat will have to inject again. Wow. You can take a pill. That drug now is Bexacat, first SGLT2 approved by the FDA. And we are going to now move that to the global cat population. Mm. That can happen, innovation after innovation, right here mm -hmm. in the state of Indiana. So our vision is to be, you know, the reach, and we've got the two largest, really, two of the largest right. uh, plant and animal companies um, within 10 miles of one another to do that. So it's an opportunity. It's, yeah, a, great, it's a great industry, but it's happened. It's not, well, I, I have to say 10 years ago we were talking about it happening. The convergence has happened. Mm -hmm. It is here. Go ahead. Maybe just to add to that, it's interesting that you say that, Jeff, because we as a, as a venture fund, so we've been in food and ag for 10 years, mm -hmm. um, and we launched an energy fund about a year and a half ago mm -hmm. 
exactly around that thesis because on the innovation side with startups, we are seeing kind of um, investment at the seams. So you talk about there's a green hydrogen convening next door to us, like that Yes. Industry is converging with fertilizer production, mm -hmm. and it's op opening up a whole discussion yes. around sustainability that just wasn't possible yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. So we see it in our own business yeah. every day. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dig into that, Audra. As, as you look at S2G, second most active ag tech investor last year, a yeah. portfolio of 70 companies around the globe. You're the, you're the one venture uh, person up here seeing early stage oh, companies. Give us, a, give us a view of how you're seeing the venture, the early stage startup, the innovation ecosystem that's feeding the rest of the economy working in ag yeah, bioscience. Mm -hmm. For sure, so um, there's really three themes that I thought would be worth touching on. So the first is kind of a macro theme. What we talk a lot about internally is this shift from um, a global system that is grounded in moderation and a shift towards increasing volatility. And by volatility, we mean, you know, coming out of COVID, there's just, there was a breakdown of supply chains. I think folks are realizing mm. what it means to outsource everything. And so there's a bigger focus on onshoring, domesticating supply chains, um, thinking about how to build increasing resilience within the supply chain. And that is unlocking more opportunities as it relates to, you know, production sites, innovation, who folks are looking to partner with. Um, so that's something that we're thinking a lot about, and I think it's also requiring us to be um, more mindful of the technologies that we're using to enable more precision and also to enable more nimbleness. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not enough to be big and to compete on scale. We're moving into a place now where you really need to leverage technology to be able to um, move very nimbly and be able to be much more responsive to what is happening. And, and that is this shift towards volatility. And I think that has climate implications as well as we're seeing more variability in yeah. climate and all that as Brooke alluded to. Um, the second piece that we're seeing that's closer to the entrepreneur side specifically is, you know, I think when the market was flooded with cash five years ago, there was an interest in technology. And there still is a ton of interest in technology, but I would say, we're shifting more towards really a focus on the ROI that technologies are driving, yep. and specifically on the investor side, line of sight to profitability. So with a lot of our conversations with our portfolio companies in the last 12 months, it's really been about how do you extend runway, how long until you get to profitability, how long until you get to you know, get off this hamster wheel of fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a trend that we're expecting to see. Um, and I think the third piece dives in with that, which is um, really the fundraising environment. And so for investors, like everyone is beholden to somebody. So entrepreneurs are beholden to their investors. Um, I really liked a comment someone made from Closed Loop Partners, or no, maybe it was Ginger from um, the Heritage Group yesterday where she was like, you know, if you're taking investment from a venture fund, you're basically getting married. Um, and hmm. someone said, I wanted to fact check this, but um, the average era marriage in America is shorter than the engagement with a venture fund. Um, so like <laughs> it's some terrible I know it's a terrible statistics, <laughs> but it's interesting to think about. So, um, you know, I think um, for entrepreneurs, it's been a really tough fundraising environment. Mm -hmm. um, within our own portfolio, we're taking a look and saying, okay, we're really doubling down. We want to support the folks that we've um, already kind of placed a bet on. But that means we're not doing a lot of new deals. And so for entrepreneurs who are going out to raise new capital and looking to bring fresh investors to the cap table, it's a very challenging environment. Mm -hmm. And to the point that we're all beholden to somebody, investors who are fundraising are having a really hard time bringing LPs into 
kind of their realm and getting commitments. And so we're anticipating not only for the fundraising environment for entrepreneurs today to continue to be difficult, but also for emerging funds, like there's probably going to be some turbulence in terms of total capital that's available in the market. And I'd love to get into a discussion actually um, with our panel today around like what it'll take to bring more capital into the space, yeah. particularly around growth stage deals, because that's where we really see it clear. I, you know, just to pick up on this, capital is going to create a lot of disturbance. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, we IPO'd. Um, boy, that's, you know, inside of Lilly all these years, boy, we get to IPO, we're gonna go after next year's 70 years. It, it also brought a lot of realities that you are beholden yes. to mm -hmm. people and actually, you know, when a sector moves, you move. When certain trends happen, you wake up in the morning and there's things that have nothing to do with your company. There's a company that's been started in the microbiome area, um, and it was a spin out of Elanco. And let me tell you, the microbiome is a, is a massive area of opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's kind of our Alzheimer's of, hey, what can we do? Yeah. We, we, our head of research, Aaron Schott, took a company outside. Why? Because, and I talked to somebody the other day, a major Covetris, a major distributor of ours, another CEO said, I couldn't get the innovation stable and a pathway to run on Wall Street today. Yep. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have runway as a new startup. Mm -hmm. yep. And so there will be more innovation. I would say more than 60% of our pipeline is coming from the outside in. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and we're gonna spin more things out because mm -hmm. there can be more innovation on the outside that will, hey, what are we good at? We can do late stage development, regulatory, and take products globally to farmers and veterinarians and pet owners. But So I, I think capital will create opportunity like never before because Wall Street is not as patient, yeah. especially for young companies to have that runway. Definitely, I mean, you saw it with like the SPAC implosion. SPAC oh, is yeah, like a right. four letter yes. word now. Yeah. We'll take a quick break. Ag Bioscience is supported by Indiana Farmers Insurance. Whether your farm is your business, your hobby, or your passion, you and your farm are one of a kind. Each is unique and requires just the right insurance coverage options. Indiana Farmers Insurance has been protecting farmers for more than 145 years. And together with your local independent insurance agent, today we deliver insurance solutions for your farm, business, home, and vehicles. Insurance can be complicated, so it's important to have a trusted expert who will guide you through your insurance experience. We partner with only the best agents, and like us, most of our agencies have been serving customers for generations. Beyond the basics, we have many other coverages available to match your needs. Our agency partners are experts and can tailor just the right coverages for your farm, business, home, or auto. Come visit us at indianafarmers.com and discover why Indiana Farmers Insurance is the right choice for you. We're proud supporters of Ag Bioscience, and we're here to help you protect what matters most. Well, you look at this, this mix, Jeff, you talked about it, of inside innovation versus acquired innovation. Brooke, yeah. Corteva has been acquisitive of, of late, picked yep. up two biological companies last yeah. year. That's right. How do you all, I mean, this is a question for everyone. We'll start with you, Brooke, but how do you think about that mix between internal R&D product development versus acquired R&D product development? Yeah, so I, I did spend 15 years of my life on Wall Street, um, and I had a, a number of clients um, who suffered the pains and the benefits of being publicly traded and having access to that capital. Um, and I also walked uh, hand in hand with a number of clients through a number of different uh, M&A situations. And I can say, I feel like I know pretty well uh, the benefits and the risks that come with using M&A. Mm -hmm. um, 
It is one great arrow to have in your growth quiver um, that can help you to achieve specific objectives when you find the right fit for your company at the right time with the right value proposition. And I think we did that uh, this year when we acquired uh, Stoller and Simborg, which has positioned us now to be one of the li largest biological plant health companies in the world. It was a great fit and they're already adding value. Um, what I can also say, again, going back to being beholden and being responsible, is that we are a publicly traded company uh, and we are committed to staying focused on our strategy, uh, to being disciplined allocators of capital, uh, and to making sure that we're always looking at that broad range of strategic alternatives that we have available. Um, we spend a billion dollars, more than a billion dollars a year in R&D um, every single year. That's $5 million every working day that we are spending on research and development. Hmm. So we have a really strong organic trajectory ahead of us. Um, we have been rapidly accelerating the pace at which we are tapping into the external innovation ecosystem, working with early stage companies. Hmm. Uh, not to be a holding company investor, because that's not what we're supposed to be doing, but finding ways to partner with entrepreneurs who have interesting technologies to be able to bring the depth and the scale and the capital um, that Corteva brings to the table to help them to accelerate the pace of development and commercialization of those products. I think we're gonna continue to do that as well. Um, and then I do think M&A will continue to be a part of our future. Uh, we're just going to be selective and disciplined in terms of how we use it. Um, you really have to look and study proactively all the different options that are on the table and choose the best one that works for you and delivers excellence to your customers. That's great. Jeff, any additional you know, I Yeah, I think that it's the, the old way was, hey, we invented here, we're good at it, and we keep it here. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think the future is, one, there's a lot of acquisitions in plant and animal mm -hmm. that haven't worked. Yeah. And I think the reason they don't work is you know your core, know what yeah. you're really good at and stay at what you're good at mm -hmm. and be proud to say, let somebody that might be better on the outside do something. That's so right. I think you're going to see more and more, what are we really good at? Reaching the world's animals. We're really good at mid and late stage development, but we continue to see active ingredients that come from plants, mm -hmm. egg chem, yep. human pharma is where our sources are. So it makes no economic sense for us to do drug screening and parasiticides when we can get it from this industry much better. And yep. a lot of our compounds come from this industry. So I think it's no sources of innovation. We've got more drug hunters than we've ever had. 3X what we had five years ago. And it's all about external. So I see our pipeline increasing in external. Um, some of our biggest and more collaborations sure. and more spin outs, whether that's in products or we can talk about even services. I mean, we, we will monetize the carbon market faster than any industry. We have a weak carbon market, two bucks in the US, mm -hmm. 20 some dollars in California, mm -hmm. $70, $80 per ton of carbon in Europe. We will, the fastest growing market in monetary will be the carbon market and there will only be one industry that will do that and that'll be the agricultural industry. It will be the next influx of cash, but There'll be a lot of that that we won't do. We're not the banking industry. We're not this. So I think, mm -hmm. I think more external and more focus on what you are really good at and yes. get rid of what you're not good at. Yeah. There's Just a big a climate. One of the largest acquisitions in your industry was a climate move, not by you. Yep. And it's been a dismal failure. And in my opinion, speaking bluntly, why? Don't do what you're not good at. Know what mm -hmm. you're good at. 
And that opens up big opportunities. We call it fit and focus in mm -hmm. my, yeah. my prior yeah. world, fit and focus. And it does take discipline though, because it's tempting to get your hands in a lot sure. of other things. You have to know what you're good at and importantly what you're not. Right. It, is, it is interesting though, um, so I work with, oh, sorry. I work with a lot of our portfolio companies that are actively looking to develop partnerships and um, it is really hard. Like I think we have a bunch yeah. of entrepreneurs in this room and the question we continue to ask ourselves and our entrepreneurs is, how do you tee up those conversations? How do you not overwhelm the system? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you effectively engage? So I'd love to hear, just because you two have such great perspectives, like what have you seen work in terms of, okay, you know you have certain focus areas, you know that you want to partner more externally, like what can the market do better to better serve you? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, let me, let me start. You start. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, you know, you know Boston, San Diego, for us, Kansas City, there's an AM Health Corridor, there's a big meeting this week out there. I think corridors create opportunity yeah. because people start to create space. Uh, we know in Boston that we, we're going to be the leaders in diabetes and animals, and, and we're going to leverage industries and connections and history, and I think know your pockets. Mm. When you just go out there and just say anywhere, why we have more drug hunters is they're specialized in geographies and hubs and mm -hmm. other industries. I think that's key mm. because quickly we are up the, you know, they do the proof of concept. We get a good sense. They start in a targeted species. I always say the good thing about our industry is we can start in the species we start in. Human pharma can't. So all of that accelerates immediately. Say, hey, we got something that's highly probable. And they have a reputation. They're good. Mm -hmm. that, that's where we usually start. But I do think that if I'm new coming in, it's the innovators need to know what they're best at. Right. And there's too many innovators trying to do too many things. Mm -hmm. And we have acquired four major innovation companies. Kindred and Ariton are big. Kindred's the leaders in monoclonal antibody. Mm -hmm. The only reason that they were good is they just did monoclonal antibodies in pets. A really bad one we did in Germany, there was too many. There yeah. was too much stuff. And they, we ended up, oncology, we delivered zero. It was mm -hmm. too spread. So It's interesting. We have that conversation with our founders every day. Um, I think there's this tension that founders feel or entrepreneurs feel around, well, I need a lot of things in my pipeline to yeah. justify the valuation I'm going mm -hmm. for. Oh. But to be effective in terms of engagement, you do need focus. So right. it's an interesting yeah. kind of, I'd be curious in your thoughts. I think that agriculture is actually kind of special mm. um, when it comes to how, I feel like we're doing some things well, honestly, in terms of connecting to the dots between the early stage companies mm -hmm. and the bigger companies. And maybe we haven't quite gotten right the how exactly you partner mm -hmm. effectively and it's a balance between us giving capital, but to us, to us at Corteva, it's more about finding ways to connect with uh, people who share like-minded, I think, values and vision mm. for what they're trying to achieve um, and finding ways that we can deliver what we're good at mm. um, to what they're good at and finding yeah. that kind of right marriage. Um, I do think that because ag is a small world in some it ways is. in yes. terms of like we all know one another, which right. I think is actually lovely, but one of the really good business benefits of that, including having facilitators like what we have at Agronovus, is that it's actually pretty easy to connect um, one place to another. Mm. And so when you um, or someone else at S2G sees an interesting company or an interesting technology, yeah. you have no problem picking up the phone and calling me and letting me know Perhaps about it. You all I have time, to connect but... the dots on stuff. Yeah. Um, we can always do a better job of that. Um, I think that we at, at Corteva 
didn't do a great job for a while of raising our hand as well to say we want more of this. Mm. Like, mm. go to openinnovation.corteva.com, take a look at what our focus areas are, um, look at some of these time-limited challenges that we put out there. Like, we didn't put our hand up enough. Mm. We're putting our hands up now, uh, but I actually have a lot of faith in just the network across agriculture uh, to connect early stage innovators in with the big companies. And then we just, I think we do have some work to do in terms of figuring out exactly how to then work effectively together yeah. and to speak the same language yeah. because we do yeah. often speak yeah. different languages and move yes. at very different speeds. Yeah. I think that's and the we need thing. to get better at that Totally. Too. We see a huge disconnect just in timing and expectation. Yes. Like our entrepreneurs are chomping at the bit to say like, yes, let's do a pilot tomorrow. Yeah. And I think a lot of larger organizations have investors that they're accountable to. They have a pipeline that this needs to fit into and there's some translation that that's is necessary. Right. There's the innovator paradox too, right? That you say, you either gotta be best or first in class in something that exists, mm. or you gotta go create the new space. You gotta get the iPhone. Totally. Mm. And I think there's too much in our industry, it's safe to be in the red ocean where we all compete. The blue and the green oceans are really hard, but mm -hmm. you know the, the innovator in Boston that I mentioned is you know a breakthrough. There was mm. a, you know a guy in, in in Holland that said I can get cows to produce less methane, and he created a blue ocean that will be probably the next two billion dollars in our industry. I think innovators need to spend more time in the blue ocean. They need to find expertise, but it's the new spaces. And mm -hmm. we spend I think to Brooks Point a lot of time talking, but tick, flea, heartworm, and dogs. We, we, just keep, we just keep creating the next generation. How did Lily get their breakthrough? It wasn't diabetes, it was, hey, it was weight loss, it was an expanding, and I think that's the innovator paradox that Steve Jobs always talked about. Get to the other side. Mm -hmm. Go to the blue and the green oceans, the new places, mm -hmm. and that's hard, but, I, yeah. but capital, I think, is open to that. And, Very much and, so. And mm -hmm. a little innovator focused on one area, you have a breakthrough, it will be big, and capital will follow mm -hmm. that. And we as strategics will pay big for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, even within our funds, we kind of go through a strategic process to say, okay, this percentage of our fund will be allocated to these frontier technologies yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. and this stage of business versus growth stage that's a little more proven yeah. out, a little safer. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, I think the beauty of this blue ocean, as you described it, Jeff, the next chapter in food and ag, well, it's pretty clear. Right? We can go to the rancher, we can go to the farmer, and if they, if we can figure out a way, the innovation here can figure out a way to actually deliver value to them and deliver value incrementally to the rest of the economy, yep. that's where that's where lightning in a bottle exists. And mm -hmm. Brooke, you and the team at Corteva have done some really amazing work on this around sustainability, where sustainability, you said it in your opening comments, sustainability and profitability are two halves of the same whole. Share yes. more about how you're thinking about that with a mm -hmm. farmer really at the center. So the farmer is at the center, truly at the center, and not just saying that, of yeah. every strategic decision that we make. Um, thinking about what our customers need and how to deliver that sustainable innovation to them is at the, the core of our DNA, um, and it's at the core of our research and development decisions, of our acquisition choices, of our partnership decisions. Um, it, it, we, really, we really do, I think, walk the talk. Um, and there's a lot to be excited about, I think, in terms of the amount of innovation in different areas we've been innovating in in order to deliver what I'd say is a, a, a more complete suite of options. Um, farmers know their land. A lot of these mm -hmm. folks are you know, fifth, sixth plus generation farmers. 
they don't need us to come in and tell them how to sustainably farm. Um, their, their business is making sure that those farms are sustainable for generations and generations to come. Our job um, is to deliver cutting edge innovation to them to provide them with choices. And so you think of just a couple of examples, because if I start getting too deep, I need like a PhD to explain to you things that are happening in the kitchen over with our, our chief technology <laughs> officer. Um, but Pioneer Seeds is coming up on its 100-year anniversary. Mm. That is unbelievable. Um, and we are still finding ways through advanced breeding yeah. and biotechnology to advance the yield potential of every acre of production in the world. It's incredible. Um, gene editing, I mentioned before, which is effectively just a faster and more cost-effective way to mm. accelerate traditional breeding without introducing foreign DNA into a plant. We think that gene editing across industries um, has the potential to be even more explosive than biotechnology. Uh, really excited about the potential there. Um, biologicals. We, we think that biologicals are going to be 25% of the crop protection market by 2035. Um, and it's an exciting opportunity, again, for us to give choices um, to our farmers about what's going to work best on each acre of their production. And I think it's important, too, where people think of it as kind of an and-or mm -hmm. um, situation between biologicals and traditional chemistry. Um, it's, it's all going to be needed. We're going to have yeah, to pull absolutely. every one of these levers in order to deliver integrated um, crop health solutions to customers. So mm. all of that centers around sustainability when you think about sustainability in terms of farming as maximizing the productivity of every acre of farming so that we avoid bringing hundreds of millions of additional acres across the world into production, and again, making sure that our farmers and their communities um, stay financially sound as well. That's good. Jeff, you've been a huge proponent of this. The first time I heard a public company CEO directly say, we have to talk about profitability if we're gonna talk about sustainability. Yeah. Share more, the animal health industry is, is a really unique one here. Share more about the work that you're leading. Yeah, you can't have sustainability without profitability, right? I right. say, and I think any time we, yeah, there's there's a lot of subsidies in Washington right now that can bridge us into something, but be real careful because it won't last, right? Uh, I believe that's the solution to a lot of things. So, um, I, look, I think that it's it's it, it it starts with defining your problem. So I'm I'm doing something out of Jamie Dimon's book at, at Morgan, <laughs> or J.P. Morgan is I'm starting a Tuesday after Labor Day on a on an eight week trip across the states and back and across Calgary to Toronto to and it's it's customers and investors and mm -hmm. what's interesting on the farm animal side we'll do the pet side but the problem defined is very simple is you know we got to give consumers what they want animals what they need and use less environment yep. and in the center of that for us it's about 25 billion dollars of opportunity wow. when I'm with Donnie King at Tyson in the Tyson boardroom they're talking about you know no antibiotics ever cost me hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. And that's why they say we need to have two kinds of chicken. Mm -hmm. And we'll be with the Kathy family talking to Chick-fil-A on this eight-week tour because it's like, hey, affordability matters more of food right now, but food choice matters. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we're losing more chicken mortality for the first time in 30 years went up because we were just telling, well, what do you want, customers? Yeah. Well, we got we to help customers and animals connect. A lot of the visits, though, will be on help us, like I said, these dairy farmers to say the next income stream, and we're talking dollars ahead. I mean, if you're, there's people making a dollar a hundred weight of milk and they're making a dollar fifty on carbon is how we can monetize carbon. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it's going to take, this is where I think the value chain of innovation, if I had to 
make one cry out at this rally conference, it is there's going to be a lot of nodes of opportunity. So very simply, we plan and hope to, in the next six months, be handing checks to farmers, or somebody will, and here's how it will happen. A dairy farm in this state or anywhere in the United States will have to be, you know, have the analytics to know exactly what's going on. There's three ways the environment's hurt, on the land, in the animal, out of the animal, the waste, and the ability to measure, the ability to understand what's being fed. Then an independent body, uh, High Alpha, Scott Dorsey here, we did a spin out called Athean, Tyson's invested, DSM, us, other companies. They will take that data and aggregate it, certify it, and monetize, and approve protocols like a product like Remensen we've had forever, mm -hmm. will kind of have a new way to mm -hmm. say, if a dairy farmer uses it this way, that protocol proves, no greenwashing, an independent certified company will do it. And guess what? California dairies are lined up, Nestle, Dan On, Heathers, and inset market is where the carbon will rise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The money will come from them. Yeah. That chain is all happening. It opens up opportunities here for data, mm -hmm. data collection, Certifiers, there's going to, we don't need, there's not going to be one bank like Atheon, there'll be many, mm -hmm. and then there will be a way to actually help farmers be mm -hmm. able to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think, mm -hmm. and all this ESG movement isn't catching on because it doesn't have money. This now is going to link a value chain to another level. Mm -hmm. That to me is, that will be a $2 billion industry in our industry. It'll probably be 3x that, I would guess, in the plant industry. Mm -hmm. and that's here. That's that's days, months away, and being done in some places. So mm -hmm. climate neutral farm lease only gonna happen if there's profitability. I'm sorry, we, 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 my biggest one of the many, many failures, one of the biggest ones, we started a food safety business, we could eliminate E. coli, hmm. and it didn't work. Why? Because farmers weren't gonna buy insurance. Yeah. You got, it's got to be sustainable. Yeah. So anyway, I, sorry, I, that's, that's great. It is going to happen, right. everybody. A agriculture is gonna lower the temperature of the climate. You're crazy, Jeff. No, it, 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 there's more science to that than any. And, why, and when economics happen, it will become a global movement. I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, we're seeing a huge movement in terms of, like the, a big friction point is quality and robustness of data that then unlocks all these opportunities. And one thing that we're spending a lot of time digging into now is um, financial incentives to bring more money and more incentives into this space. And so one thing that we're spending a lot of time on is fintech and then connecting yes. that data that's being collected on farm very good. and kind of flowing into the banking system to bring the banks and yes. the insurance companies to the table. Because at the end of the day, who pays when there are catastrophic events yeah. and our properties aren't as resilient as they could be? It's the insurance companies and it's the banks. So I think at the end of the day, this mm -hmm. is a way to shore up resilience in our supply chain I, I just think that there's incentives right now are not aligned because there's mm -hmm. kind of this disconnect in terms of timing. Yep. And so we're spending a lot of time just thinking about, yes, we have a whole tech stack of digital technologies that we've invested in that are doing crazy things now. Like the technology we developed for the human genome and sequencing the human genome is now being applied to the soil microbiome mm -hmm. and being paired with product applications yeah, so that yeah. you could make much more precise recommendations for where certain products should be placed mm -hmm. and increase efficacy. So that is ROI to the grower, but I think that ultimately the high value comes when you get the banking system at the table and the insurance system at the table, and that unlocks so much more capital and so many more incentives for adoption. Yeah. Jeff, talk more about Atheon, because I think when you talk fintech, Audra, mm -hmm. I mean, you have a fintech team that is in ag tech yeah. working in carbon markets. Yeah. 
and, and credit to, again, another, I, I, I brag here, Central Indiana and, you know, some of the exact target teams back in your affiliation. There's, sure. there's a lot of tech companies in this area that just the convergence of it. And, um, you know, we've, we've created a company here. There's an incubator led by Elliot and Scott and others. And, and you know, what, what it actually does. And I think one of the, I've got a couple watch outs here. There's always, oh, this sounds really good, Jeff. What are the watch outs? <laughs> Atheon helps with the watch out. And it's called greenwashing. Our audit committee mm-hmm. is heavily focused on saying it's got to be done right. Yeah, mm-hmm. It totally. has to be. We have a new regulatory body. That is our is, biggest risk, by yeah, the way. Three or four independent bodies need to certify this. And then there has to be independence. We, we can't be paying the farmers. It has to be a body that's the bank between CPG companies and governments and states of California's and the money's got to flow through and say, we've got it. So what Atheon's going to do is do three things, aggregate data, certify data, and then create the monetization mm-hmm. uh, after that certification and approve protocols of just not our innovations, any innovation. So a farmer needs, so you pay this, you know, you, you, you apply this many grams a ton, mm-hmm. you follow these things, and you give us the analytical stack every month when that comes in. Nestle will buy those credits because they've made their claim and they will flow through Atheon. That's what Atheon will do, and that was a company started through High Alpha, a, an innovation incubator here in, here in town. So, But it's interesting because, so we're so sophisticated in many ways, like you guys are spending a billion dollars mm-hmm. on R&D, and we're doing these amazing things in terms of seed breeding, and there's opportunities to accelerate that with digital twin technologies and things mm-hmm. like that. But at the same time, this industry is so early, like. Um, we talk a lot about data flows. And right now, a huge friction point in unlocking this space is the ability to have data flow from one organization to another. Yeah. And we're talking a lot about just having a basic API framework that would form the backbone of mm-hmm. kind of like a plaid for ag. Um, so we've been looking at investments in that space as well. But it's it's funny because we're so sophisticated in many ways, but I think that there's some basic kind of capabilities that still need to be mm-hmm. built out. I think, right. I think we need regulatory. You know, we just had the first FDA product approved. We'll have another one coming. We need regulatory bodies mm-hmm. like the FDA and USDA mm-hmm. to say, hey, no longer fee conversion claims on an ad- a footprint claim. Correct. We mm-hmm. have an ammonia reduction claim. We have one coming for 30 to 50% methane reduction. So that changes their R&D models. We need a greenwashing assurance to say this has to be independent. Agriculture takes the wrong first step and we will mess it up for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we've mm-hmm. got to really do that. But I think the third, and this is, I think Brooke highlighted it really well, is big strategics aren't good at everything. Nope. <laughs> and the best big strategics say, I do this, I need help with this. Mm-hmm. We are not going to be able to move into sustainability without more partners than any time in the history of our 70 years. Yep. So I think that's where the innovation opportunity is, is from, from data to products. Yeah, mm, very true. We have about 10 minutes left, so there's two big pieces that I know everyone here wants to hear because where problems exist, opportunity to innovate is, mm-hmm. right? So as you look, Audrey, you mentioned data flows, mm-hmm. and I would argue one of the reasons why we don't have a data infrastructure is because some of it's viewed as competitive, right? Yep. Uh, at, the, at the core, back at the farm gate, I yep. think that's a real thing. But maybe help, under, help those here understand some of the barriers across the team here that exist, that really create hurdles for innovation, also creates opportunity for innovation. I'm gonna piggyback off of a, a couple words that you just used, actually. Um, two of the biggest barriers that we have is IP protection mm. yeah. 
and regulatory frameworks. Mm. Um, so I mentioned, again, a minute ago, we spend $5 million every working day in R&D. On average, it takes us $300 million and 13 years to bring one crop protection molecule to market. And the reason that we spend that kind of R&D money is first, we obviously want to make an impact on all of our collective futures, but it's also, going back to profitability, we have the ability when we develop something great um, that we can recoup that return for our investors and that we can pivot and we can invest in the next big thing. Some of the challenges that we have associated with that right now is that we have to have strong IP protection and strong robust enforcement of those laws mm. in order to make sure that we continue to incentivize that kind of innovation. And that should be important to every entrepreneur in this room as well to make sure that if you do the work and you have the breakthrough and you develop the business, that you can protect that. Um, so that's one piece that I, I think we really have some work to do. Yeah. Um, and the other piece is from a regulatory perspective. You mentioned the word nimbleness. Our regulatory system right now is the opposite of yeah. nimble. Um, we need to be able to deliver safe and effective tools into the hands of farmers as quickly as we reasonably can to enable them to do exactly what they've been doing for you know, hundreds of years, which is develop the crops to feed and fuel the world. Um, and we need that regulatory system to be science-based. Uh, it needs to be more globally integrated and globally harmonized, and it needs to move with urgency. Um, and we have to have open pathways in order, again, safe, effective, we're not trying to cut corners, uh, but open pathways to get that innovation into the hands of farmers um, faster, frankly, in order to address the needs of the world. So I'd say those are two big hurdles that we still need to overcome. Mm -hmm. And it's frankly going to require more joint discussions and advocacy mm -hmm. and a stronger voice yeah. across our industry in order to drive the changes that we all collectively need. I think um, the Western growers did something interesting. Our friend Kirk was at this yes. biologic summit. Yeah. there together. Um, and that's a really good example. They hosted a biologic summit. So if there's any biologics businesses here, it might be worth checking out. Um, but they're bringing together regulators, mm -hmm. startups, industry, growers to really talk through the regulatory frameworks mm -hmm. and how you accelerate this. So it's, you see kind of green shoots coming up, but it's early. Yeah. yeah. Barriers, Jeff? You know, I, I think we've touched on a lot of them. I think regulatory is key. I think the convergence, I do think there's too many of us thinking we can do it all. So I think the, the willingness to partner and find credible people. Yep. I think the other thing, and there's an opportunity here that's happened is the, the whole COVID created a worry about China and active ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so the value chain, look, uh, over half of our employees are in manufacturing. And so there's a real opportunity in Lebanon and what we're doing, uh, kind of the RTP is going to become maybe an MTP here with a manufacturing uh, triangle park and what, what Lily and many companies are doing. I think there's an opportunity also, a barrier is making stuff that's affordable. In our business, we don't have a payer system. We're in a mm -hmm. cash business with farmers. Is you got to do this in a sustainable way. There's a lot of innovation. We've got a building 82 down here in Indianapolis, strain development, um, being able to take you know, the, the, the active ingredient, make it better, make it more efficient, add more IP to it. There's a lot in manufacturing. And what happened in China is people are saying, we don't want it there. So the supply chains are shrinking. There's a lot of active ingredient suppliers in Europe that have a little too much leverage on companies like us. And that's why being able to bring active ingredients closer to home, I think you'll see a convergence here even in Indiana. Agreed. There'll be a lot of new jobs and a lot of new science in the manufacturing side, mm -hmm. which I think is 
is a barrier right now because we, we, we don't have the payer system that, uh, that, yeah. that, that human pharma people do. Mm -hmm. Last question, we are on time here. So there are a lot of folks here. A lot of folks want to work with all three of you. Uh, maybe just a quick flyover, how can they work with you? What's next up? Jeff? Yeah, uh, online, Justine Conway, she leads our drug hunters. We are very open, we respond. I respond to emails every day. Um, we, we are very open and you know, what we're looking for is these things. It's, it's data, it's new products. It is uh, the ability to, to reach, I mean, people, the digital side, we've probably got seven or eight new digital partners. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the entire value chain. Mm -hmm. we, we reach the world's animals, we develop products. We are the interface with farmers, veterinarians, and pet owners. We make pets live longer, healthier, more active lives, and we make livestock more sustainable, more affordable, and we believe in this protein movement. We need innovators to help us, because we'll do that really well, but we need, we, need, we need products and services, and especially in the sustainability area, if there's anybody that has that opportunity, Justine Conway on our website, or Jeff Simmons at elanco.com. So. Great, Brooke. That was brave. Yeah, I know. That was brave. I, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so many communications in this room. Is going to wind up. And I'm, hey, when it comes yeah, yeah. to innovation, bring it on. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, I mean, very similar. And, and we we are actively again putting our hands up. We want to find like-minded partners uh, to help us increase the speed of that flywheel of innovation. We want to be collaborating with folks. So I'd suggest learn. Uh, I think I mentioned open innovations at corteva.com. Learn the areas that we're focused on. Um, we do run these active challenges, uh, but we also take open proposals from folks. So if you go on our website, you don't see something mentioned there that you think is part of that blue ocean and other interesting space, um, connect with us through that. We have a team of people now that are focused uh, day in and day out on finding ways um, to collaborate more effectively through investments, through joint development agreements, through multi-pronged approaches with earlier stage innovators. Um, we cannot do all of this uh, on our own. It's gonna require a lot more collaboration and partnership activity between all of us, um, yes. between um, different industries, um, and certainly between the large companies and the small. So we're ready. Excellent, Audra? Well, round us out. Um, so I work for SGG Ventures, a venture fund. Um, for the entrepreneurs in the room, so the smallest check that we write is about $500,000 and we'll go up to 30, 40, $50 million checks. Um, if you are interested in funding and you're looking for investors, feel free to send an email to investments at s2gventures.com. You could also submit um, an inquiry through our website. Um, the second piece of our business, we actively think about how to accelerate adoption of new technologies because we do see that as a huge yeah. friction point in the space. Mm -hmm. and so. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we partner with folks to move from pilot scale to broader scale. And so, you know, it looks different in different spaces. If it's precision fermentation, it's moving from bench scale to mass production, and there's a lot of complexity there. Um, but if, if you're someone who's involved in this type of work and you're actively thinking about how to incorporate new technologies, um, then I'd love to chat with you. And my email is audra at s2gventures.com. It's incredible. How about a round of applause for Jeff, Brooke, and Audra? Thank you both. Thank you, Thank you all three. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well done. That was our discussion on stage at Rally Innovation with Elanco CEO Jeff Simmons, S2G Ventures Principal Audra Kapasinkas, and Corteva's Chief Strategy Officer Brooke Cunningham. Huge thanks to Jeff, Audra, Brooke, and their entire teams for making that discussion possible. 
And thank you for tuning in to Ag Bioscience. You can get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights from discussions just like this by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And while there, you can access our entire library and give us a review. Don't forget, you can always learn more online at agronovisindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovis team, I'm Mitch Frazier saying thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Agronovis Indiana in collaboration with Inside Indiana Business. Hosted by Mitch Frazier. Produced by Kayla Chittister and Fabian Rodriguez. Photography by Kaylee Kerr. To get all ag bioscience news all the time, visit agronovisindiana.com.